Welcome to the Angie Creates podcast. I'm your host Angie Wang. In this podcast, I interview curious humans on how they become the most alive versions of themselves through creative expressions like movement, art, and writing. 欢迎来到 Angie Creates， 我是你的主持人安吉。在这个节目呢，我喜欢和来宾们聊聊关于数位游牧、写作、艺术和身体训练的不同主题，探索如何活出最精彩的人生。Today, the guest of my podcast is Joao Mat. <laughs> Let me pronounce it again. Joao Mateus. Joao Mateus. That's good. That's <laughs>、nice. good. I still remember、That's、the first、good. time I pronounced his name wrong. So me and I met Joao when when we were traveling Portugal, Lisbon in this Twitter meetup, and we happened to sit right next to each other. And later we found out we have so much in common. But Joao is way、mm. further. On the path of being a、um, being a trainer for online education, especially for adult education. So today I'm super super excited to have Joe on my podcast to talk about everything regarding adult online education. And he has a very interesting background. So he is a Portuguese educator and thinker. He has a degree in jazz guitar and developed his entrepreneur mindset when he was a teenager. Being an active musician, but after a wrist injury, he co-founded a training company and worked with thousands of people and hundreds of companies as a trainer, coach, and designer of learning experiences. He co-founded an NGO focused on teaching soft and meta skills and became a pedagogical co- coordinator in entrepreneur gym. Okay, this is a lot to unpack, but first, welcome to the podcast, y'all. Hi Angie, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So、um, today, in addition to talking about online education, we will also talk about what it's like to be a bilingual creator on the internet. This is something、yeah. that might like. Okay, at first, Ashdod and Natal is like super popular in Taiwan. That's like one、yeah. thing I found that is similar between Portuguese and Taiwanese culture, and then the food is so similar. And then when I talk to Joao, my mind is blown away by how similar we are. We're going to dive into、yeah. that later. So I, I, I want to ask you the first question: How did you get interested in founding a training company after your music career? Yeah, so that's a great question. So first of all, once again, thank you so much for having me.、Uh, it's it's a pleasure, and I really hope that this conversation adds value to both of us and maybe to someone listening.、Uh, so how did I get interested in creating a corporate training company? So that's a complex answer. I'll try to give it a short answer. So I, because I was a musician and I was.、Um, I, I I had to develop as a teenager this entrepreneurial mindset、um, because I was trying to sell my music, trying to to play with the best musicians there there was, and I also wanted to make some money. So the easiest way to make money as a musician is contrary to what people may think, not to play, but actually to give classes. So I was 15 years old when I gave my first class class. And、uh, and I remember like I really enjoyed it. Like I had a colleague that I wanted to learn a specific song on the guitar, and so、uh, I taught them. And so that education has always been present ever since I was a teenager on on like my professional、uh, 
things or areas. And what happened was I wanted to be the best jazz guitar player in Portugal. And I had a wrist injury, as you mentioned in your lovely intro. And with that recent injury, with that recent injury came the realization that to achieve what I wanted to achieve, I had to practice like seven to eight hours every day. And that was just not possible with the wrist injury. So I started to realize, well, what else do I want to uh, bring to, to, to the equation? What else do I want to do, uh, professionally speaking? And one of the things that popped in my mind was, well, I was always a very positive person. Uh, and uh, I had a lot of friends that weren't. And I always asked myself, like, why is not everyone as positive as me? And that led me to understand. I also question like why are people very good at what they do and why are people that are not that good at what they do? And so uh, I started to read about that. I started to read about psychology, about biology, about history, about philosophy, anything that I could lay my hands on and, and, and to work on what I call the human potential question. How can we help human beings develop more potential? And so after doing all that research and after trying to understand how our minds work, I eventually, when I finished the degree, because even though I had a recent injury, I ended up finishing it. Uh, I just decided to co-found a company, just trying to share these ideas with people that would find some value. And so me and two other co-founders, we created a company called the Academia do Sim, which in English is uh, Yes Academy. And we basically started to give training sessions to to, to companies. One of these individuals was uh, uh, already a trainer uh, and she was very, very good at it. And so she had some companies that wanted to work with her. And so basically when we created the company, that was the, those were our first clients. And, and yeah, basically that's it. That's how I decided to, to co-found it. Okay. So what's the experimental, what is the experimenting process for you when you, after you had the, after you had an injury and before you founded a company and is it, mm. I, I imagine being a like devoted into music industry wholeheartedly, not being able to play. It's something that is probably <laughs> devastating. Can I use the word to describe that? Yeah, absolutely. So usually when, I, when I'm introducing myself, I say that the wrist injury allowed me to realize that I wanted to be a carpet vending and I make it look like it, it, it was so easy and so obvious. It was not at all. Like I, if, if you entered my room when, in, in college where I, when I realized that I, I wouldn't be able to play, like there were days where I would literally just be like laying on the ground or just eating my, my head against the wall because I had no idea what to do. It was very, very hard just because I, at that point I had been playing for like seven years every single day. So when someone told me like, there's, you, you cannot play the guitar. And I was like, you have no idea, I have no idea. Like I've been playing every day. I won't stop now. And then I remember the doctor just making, giving like with a smirk saying, well, you either stop playing for a while and then maybe you get back or you continue, you will basically destroy your wrist and you'll never be able to play again. So that was very hard. Um, like the, 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 the experiment process was actually it took me a while to understand like that I wanted to do that because I, I did a lot of journaling back then, just trying to understand like what were some of the things that I was good at and, and what alternatives there was. And so after spending a lot of time writing, I realized that music was the language that I knew that allowed me to inspire people. And because I was playing jazz, meaning 
most of what I was playing was just improvised based on what I was feeling. Like if I connected with someone, it was because the way that I communicated my emotions through music resonated with the emotions that that person was feeling. Because once again, I was just improvising what I felt like. And so I realized, well, if I want to inspire people, I can do it in many different ways. And so that led me to when I was a teenager, actually always growing up, like I was like, I think almost everyone has that friend where if you're having some kind of dilemma or problem or issue, you go talk with them to try to figure out what to do. Like I was that friend to most of my friends. And so I realized, okay, I'm good at listening to to people and, and trying to come up with solutions for their problems. Can I do make a living out of that? And I had like the the the, the person the, the the two individuals that co-founded the company with me. One of them was already uh, she was already a trainer, and so I I would look at her, and she was also a coach. And and I was I would look at her, and I was and and I would think like, oh, maybe I can do that as well, right? Uh, and so all that mixed with the very natural feeling that I had when I was like. Uh, on stage, meaning speaking to someone. I, I didn't have problems doing the public speaking or talking with people. I, I, it just made me realize that I wanted to inspire people. And so I tried two or three different things. I tried through writing and it didn't resonate that much because I didn't like it. People would like it, but it wasn't the medium back then. Uh, and I, I tried to make a workshop. Basically, I, I decided to, to uh, that I wanted to, to make this uh four-hour workshop to see if things would go uh, good. Uh, and I did it. I loved it. People loved it. And basically, that was it. I, I was hooked. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. It, it I, I like I just found another similarity. <laughs> so oh, really? I think, um, I think I shared with you, like, before I was a trainer and I had no experiences in training people. I mean, mm-hmm. phys- physically, I was a fitness trainer. I was a fitness coach. And the reason why I became a fitness coach is because I love lifting so much. And mm. at that time, I thought the, my, the meaning of my life, of existing in this world, is to empower female through lifting. Mm. And so lifting became the focus. And immediately when I went into coaching, I had an injury. That injury is so bad that the, even these days, whenever I train, it hurts. So like that... I, I quickly realized that the energy I have to give out in the coaching space, like literally in a gym and the injury that was bothering at midtime, just like physically I couldn't do it anymore. So mm. what other things I can also do still that is still empowering people through fitness. And that's how I discovered like online education and all the stuff. And now yeah. I think that's also the time I really started to think like, can I really only empower people through fitness? I found yeah. out like the, the thing I love is, inspire people to find out that they actually have ownership of their life they they have the yeah. autonomy to decide what their life want to be at first okay. it's through fitness but now it's through other media and online education creativity arts writing so like okay. yeah I'm, but even till these days what i get out of training physical training is still inspiring me and then like build the angle of how I see so many other things in the world. So mm-hmm. I wonder what's the mu- what's your relationship with music right now? Yeah. So, so, uh, so I, I, I know that you, you, you're familiar 
with rite of passage. And I remember once I, I saw David Sherry that uh, one of the first things that they ask in, in rite of passage is for you to write an essay on the question that people ask you the most. And like the question that people ask me the most is that like, uh, how's your relationship with music? Or how, don't you feel sad about leaving music after all those time, all, all that time? And so I actually wrote a piece on that. And, and it's like, so music is very uh ingrained and integrated into my worldview it helped me to see a lot of things in a, in a way that i think it takes some time for other people to to see it that same way so what i mean by this is and uh so some basic things like i i have this theory that if you learn the basics on a music theory and improvisation and how music works you'll be able to live a better life. One day I'll write a book about this uh, because it, it, so I still play. I'm able to play uh, the guitar. I cannot practice like four, five, six hours every day, but I'm able to, to do some concerts and play a lot. Like last, this year, actually, I gave a bunch of concerts already um, and, and I'm slowly getting back to it as a professional um, thing to do. But But in terms of my worldview, like, there are so many things that music helped shape. So one of them is, uh, so I believe that every day when you wake up, you have one or one of three things will happen. The first one is you plan your day and everything goes according to plan, 100%. Usually it does not happen, right? Then you have the second choice, which is, okay, you wake up, you plan your day and something go, go, goes most most things go according to plan and others not that much. Okay, it happens sometimes. But like the most common one for me and for the people I talk with are basically you plan your day and then life happens. And suddenly you, you have to, to, you're in certain situations where you didn't prepare. So the only thing that you're, that's uh, like the only thing you can do is to basically improvise. So if you look at life from this lens, what happens is you spend most of your life improvising, right? So this conversation, like you send me some of the questions, but, and I could practice like the answers, but like the, the, the conversation will, will be improvisation, right? And so what happens was, what happens is I, I spent like seven years of my life just practicing the craft of improvisation. Like, because since I was studying jazz, I was understanding how to improvise, how to react to things, how to respond, how can I listen to things? What do I want to say? How, how to prepare for an improvisation? Like all those things that were related to music, I quickly realized that there were like these meta skills that I could use in other fields. I'll, I'll give you an example. So the first training session that I did, I had, like, it was based on emotional intelligence. That, that was the topic. And I had a bunch of managers around. And, uh, and so I did a lot of preparation. I read a lot of books. I tried a bunch of different things. I had this whole curriculum planned out and we did it. And the first part of, of, of the morning uh, went great. And I say, said, everyone, well, let's take a 10 minute break. And everyone went outside the class and I looked at my notebook to see, well, let me see where I am in my plan. And I realized that in the first part of the first morning, I had given, I had give like all the content from the day because I was so focused. I was just saying things, just throwing information around. And suddenly I was left with like six hours of a training session that I didn't like plan at all. And so I remember like that 10 minute break was like one minute panicking and nine minutes improvising. And what happened was I quickly realized that 
I, I, the, the way I approached it was, okay, so I have this whole information about emotional intelligence. What can I do? And I, and I, I started to just connect different ideas. And I said, well, I can try to make a, a small game. So I created like this very easy, simple, childish games around the, the ideas that I had studied about emotional intelligence. And we did it. And it went great. In fact, after the training session, after the two day, it was a two day course. After the course, like the, the, the part that most people like, the most were the silly games that I made up in nine minutes while they were having coffee wow. and smoking their cigar, right? And so I, I remember like in the in the end of the, the, the training session, everyone left the room and I was alone and I was like, what the hell happened there? And so I started to think about it and I realized that what happened was I used my uh in, my approach to improv into improvisation in music to do it in corporate training. And just realizing that was like it was a fundamental shift in my worldview. I still believe that one of the things that I'm very, very, very good as a corporate trainer or as an educator is to improvise based on the situation that's happening. And that's due to, to spending like seven years crafting that, that uh, perfecting that craft. So that was my long way to just explain how music impacted my worldview and still does almost every day. Uh, and there's also a lot, like ideas of like our harmony, how to create harmony in chords and, what that, how does that relate to, to creating harmony in your life and these all ideas of tension and release. So there's a lot, there's a lot. We can do a whole podcast just about it. Oh my God, that is so fascinating. I, I definitely didn't think about the, the improvisation aspect. I was thinking about like more like the artistic part or like the creative part, mm. but mm. yeah, it's very cool. So and also, yeah, go ahead. No, so so that also, but like, and 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 a second skill that I just remember is is listening. So when, because a lot of the, a lot of times when you're playing in a jazz band, what what's happening is you need to listen to whatever is happening so you can follow that uh, invitation. So in a jazz band, what happens is every time someone plays something, that's an invitation for you to follow or to decline. Uh, and so that means that every jazz musician that's playing at it. A fairly good level is is always trying to do a deep listening to everything happening and so by practicing that a lot when i was in a corporate training setting or when i was in a or still i'm in a coaching session like i do realize that i'm able to practice like this deep listening where i'm actually just focused on you and nothing else so that's a second skill that that comes from from music uh and i wanted to add sorry that's so that's fascinating so you mentioned emotional intelligence is something that you cover in your training. What other services or what other topics did you also cover in your in, in a training yeah. company? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we did was we were focused on everything that was uh, in the behavioral area because we would have this approach where uh, because the people in the company were fast learners and we focused a lot of our time in learning how to learn, like it would happen, we would go to a company and they would say, oh, we need a, a session on time management, for instance. And we would say, okay, that's fine. And then we would just learn everything that there was to learn about time management and create a specific learning experience for that company. So that being said, like I worked, I did training sessions in a bunch of different areas. I did it in communication, motivation, leadership, goal setting, emotional intelligence, time management, stress management, uh, I did. I did in coaching as well. I did NLP, neuro linguistic programming, as well. Nice. 
And so I did a bunch of them. Yeah, uh, I, I, I did those or some that I'm remembering in. I, I also did like, and uh, we did one on uh, like the power of constructing metaphors, which is a very specific thing, but was one of my favorite workshops. And uh, and yeah, I think that's. It. Oh, I, I also did one on on uh, the beliefs, like deep beliefs, how you like how your beliefs impact your 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 life, and also another another course on values, like how to to define your personal values and align them with with what you want in life. Those are some of the courses that I remember doing. Well, it's interesting. So at first I thought it's you guys focus on very specific range of topics and then you would pitch those topics to a company. But it sounds like you guys focus, you guys have this core strength of methodology of training and you go yeah. to the company and they give you a topic. So you have to learn about the topic before you deliver yeah. the training. So it's like, yeah. it's like you are a student and the teacher at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and that's and so that's what makes it so interesting because first of all, we, we only did that on behavioral area. I never thought anything like that was technical or, or some technical in the sense like I didn't do programming or economics or anything like that. It was always on the behavioral area because our methodology to learn was basically on that. It, it, it's possible to apply better on the on that area, but it usually what would end up happening was precisely what we're saying. So the 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 issue would appear. The company would say, "Well, I want a, a training session on this or a course on this." And because we were at the same time, the student and the teacher, what would happen was, well, I was learning something, and I, and as I was learning, I was like, "Okay, so what's the best way? Like, what are some of the troubles that I'm having as a student to understand this?" Oh, uh, maybe the example that the, the this teacher gave or this book gives, it's not the best example. Or maybe this is somehow messy or it's very technical. So because I was a student, uh, that would allow me to just understand what are some of the flaws in the reasoning of these teachers, of these books, of these courses, and then to just change it in a way that would be easier for any student to understand. And so when I was a teacher, I was going to share those in, in the easiest way possible, right? And so because of that, that allowed us to create like this very, very uh, easy and impactful and practical learning experiences. And to be honest, I think that's that was part of, it still is like the company still exists. Uh, it's part of like the success that we had and that they have on, on teaching is because we developed these learning experiences in a very original way. Um, so, so that is part of, of, of my comment. And also like we did that for a while, like in the first year we did that a lot, but then what happens is usually like most companies will focus on three, three to five areas. So we ended up like realizing, oh, okay. So we have these three to five areas. Let's focus on making sure that every single edition of every single course on these areas just gets better and better and better. Um, and so, yeah, that, that would be like our approach to, 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 to training. I have a very big question for you. So, like, I, I can imagine someone dedicated a whole life into each of the topic, and now you are given a very short period of time. How do you how do you plan a scope of how much do you want to learn, and how do you know that to what degree is enough? Mm. So that's a big question. Are you talking like specifically to me, or just as uh, as general as in general? And, and that's like, 
I'm asking for for myself too, because like mm. I think for like working in the online education space, whenever you join a when you, whenever you help another creator, you're entering a whole new domain from like studio yeah. to like nervous system yeah. to other stuff. So I'm always yeah. wondering how much is enough. Mm. Yeah. So that's 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 a great great question. So I'll give you my answer. Uh, I don't want to be the number one expert in none of these things. I never wanted. So, because that would mean that if I wanted to be like the number one on emotional intelligence, that would mean that I would have to focus like 80% of my time just learning about that and 20% of my time just learning about other things. And it's okay. There's a lot of people that want that, right? Uh, But because I'm a very, very, very curious person, I cannot find myself just imagine that, like being focused around one specific area. So what I usually do is, I, I when when approaching a, a, a course or a, a learning experience, I'll I'll start to learn learn something new, and I'll try to come up to, to arrive at a state where I feel like, oh, I've learned enough that. I see that there are transformations in my behavior in and in my life already. And after doing that, I'll, I'll go, okay, so those transformations are already happening. And in the back of my question, in, in the back of my mind, I have the question, well, are these transformations enough for what the client wants? So that's very important because when because we're talking about learning to create a course for someone, right? I'm not talking about learning for myself. In that case, if I'm working, uh, if I'm helping a creator to, to develop his course or her course, if I'm designing a learning experience for a company, if I'm designing a training session for a company, like my goal is, okay, so is there enough transformation in myself that if happens with the, with the students, with, with the people from that company, would that be enough? Is, is that going to be enough? Right? And usually if that is already enough, that's when I say, okay, so that's okay, that's good. Let's do the learning experience and, and, and see, right? So that will be like my answer focusing on just when to stop when I'm designing a learning experience. Like for myself, I usually don't impose any specific limit. Like for as long as I'm interested in a certain topic, I will just be obsessed about it and then there's a moment where I just know that, okay, maybe that's enough. Let me switch to another topic and I will do it that way. Um, so yeah, basically I think that would be my, my answer. I'm not sure if I answered like the way you want it, uh, but let me, let me know. Yeah. So um, my follow-up question would be like, what are some effective ways to deliver a transformational learning experiences for adults specifically? So, so that's a very complex question. Uh, I'll try to unpack it. So um, the first thing that you need to understand is that there are different types of learning uh, experiences. So you have teaching, you have training, you have mentoring, and you have coaching. These four things are different. And usually what happens is online creators and any kind of almost uh, an adult teacher will mix them up and, and it, it will fail to access the full potential of their knowledge as a creator and as a teacher and also of the learning experience that they're building. So what are the differences? First of all, teaching is focused on just sharing knowledge. So what I mean by this is if you're designing a class and I'm teaching a class, I want you to uh, gain a specific uh, knowledge about something, like usually theoretical knowledge. So that's teaching. Training is focused on creating a behavioral transformation. 
And so that's one of the biggest difference. And usually people don't understand it. So when you, when you're giving a training session to a company, you don't want them to know certain things like, sure, they can know certain things. That's good. But like the main focus has to be like, what kind of behavioral transformation I want these people to do. So, and that's like one of the most common mistakes in, in adult education is that people just try to teach things to, 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 to adults. One, either just giving them the knowledge and it's irrelevant because usually adults don't, don't want knowledge that much unless it really helps their lives. Or second, they actually want to, to create this transformation on uh, this behavioral transformation on, on their students, but he created himself or herself because he or she is not thinking about this. He's focused only on the knowledge that he or she knows. Uh, it creates like, it's, it's harder for the student to understand what kind of change in my behavior I have to do, right? So that's a, very, a fairly common mistake. And then just finishing up, have mentoring, which the, the basic is, is, is just individual training where based on the problems that you're presenting, I will give you like the best strategy. Uh, so it's almost like a training one-on-one and you have coaching, which where the focus is to basically ask questions so that the people get to the results that uh, he or she wants. So a lot of times these are all mixed up and the best way to create the best learning experience for an adult would be, okay, so what does this person want? If he or she wants just, if the student wants only pure technical knowledge, teaching is enough. If the student wants some kind of change, uh, but not personalized change, training is the, the way to go. If someone wants like a specific strategy to solve a specific problem uh, in, in their behavior, mentoring is the way to go. And finally, if people want to do some inner exploring in order to come up with their own solutions, coaching is the way to go. The main problem in, in adult education is that like a creator usually mixes them all up, right? And so, and it fails to understand what kind of learning experience do I want to offer these students? And like the, the most common thing is just try to mix them all in, in one learning experience. So in the course, I'm being a mentor and also I'm trying to be a coach and I'm also trying to be to create this behavioral transformation, but I also want you to know this, this, this technical knowledge. And like the best thing that any creator can do is actually to stop and realize what's the most important thing for my students. And some students just want to, to, to get like the theoretical knowledge and that's it. But other people want just the, 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 the transformation and you have to approach that. So that would be like the first common mistake is, is, is to not know what kind of learning experience. And the solution would be just focusing on the kind of the right learning experience for your students. The second mistake and in principle that I personally believe it will help people is to basically understand the difference between pedagogy and andragogy. We, we talked about this in, in, in the call we did where pedagogy is focused a, a lot on more on, on students, on younger students, and andragogy is learning for adults. And what ends up happening in these courses is that the, the, the instructor designs the learning experience based on pedagogy, meaning uh, I like using the same principles that one uses to teach uh, a young student. And it fails to realize that an adult will have a very fundamental different experience, uh, life experience, and needs other things. Um, and so that would be like the second principle. So what are some of these things? And now it's it's a long answer, sorry, but I'm just trying to unpack it all. So 
After realizing that what's the best learning experience model, and after a, you need to approach it with not pedagogy, but andragogy, how you do that? Well, first of all, you understand what is the problem that I'm going to solve to my students. That's very, very important. Like you, in, in each training session, you need to have a set of problems or a specific problem that you know you're going to solve. So that's one. The second one is to understand that adults bring some knowledge to the table, right? A lot of people create these courses that are purely passive. And like the, the, the big transformation, those courses where you see that people just are really passionate about the course and they're very, very, like they're true fans of that course come, come because they were given some space to speak. They were given some space to have value as well. Like it was not a, a, a thing where I, I was just listening to some some information. I actually participated on that. I had some things to say and people just, and it resonated or, and, and it helped the whole learning experience move forward. And so that's also a very common mistake that you don't give enough uh, space for people to, to share. And a, a third principle that I personally use in my courses and it all, always works is to bring a lot of humor. So uh, any so learning is state dependent, meaning the way you feel will influence how much you learn, how you learn and why you learn, right? If I'm feeling sad or if I'm feeling tired, the kind of learning that I'm willing to do on the learning experiences will be like very bad comparing to a situation where I'm feeling very energized, right? And so one of the best ways to put people on a mood that allows for learning to happen is, is through jokes. So because if, if you make a joke in a learning experience and I'm laughing, if I'm tired, suddenly because I'm laughing, I'm a little bit more active. But if I'm all over the top because I'm very high energy, if you're making a, a, a joke and I laugh, you're, you're suddenly gaining the control of what the next mood will be. So here's an example. I'll, I'll, if, if I make a joke and suddenly everyone is laughing, I decided that the next step will be we we either continue laughing and we'll continue that high energy going or I'll switch to the joke is actually a metaphor for something very important and I want you to pay very close attention to what, what I'm about to say, right? So basically humor allows you to break the pattern of whatever learning, uh, whatever mood is happening and then deciding what the mood is that you want your students to feel. So those three things would be like ways that we could drastically improve uh, adult learning. And I'm not sure what was the original question, but I think I kind of answered it. Yeah, well, my original question was, what was what contributed to a successful transformative yeah. learning experience? This is like yeah. super fascinating, especially the jokes part. Like, I think a lot of time we ignore the emotional journey of how students experience before, during, and after the course. And yeah. I was so inspired by our conversation last time that I kept thinking about it and I came up with a theory. I told my husband, I was like, I think there are two heroes' journey involved in online education. Usually, um, a course, a super passionate course was created by a creator who experienced something super important in their life. They went on this hero's journey and they, they realized, holy shit, if I know this 10 years ago, then I wouldn't have to go through all this um, detours. I can be where I am now way faster. And I want people to know this this shortcut too. And that's why yeah. I'm setting out to build a course. 
And but when when they are building a course, they enter a mode of knowledge delivery, and they forgot that there is another side of hero's journey, which is the student bring to the course. Like they they come to the course. I claim. I claim they come to the course not because they want a set of skills. They want a transformation. They are looking forward to go on to their hero's journey. But these yeah. two hero's journeys are are so are are cut off from each other because the knowledge transfer part doesn't really doesn't really talk about the identity of the students, the hero's journey of the mm. students. So, like, it for a course mm. has to be transformational. It has to go. It has to ma- know how to map the knowledge onto the students' hero's journey. Yeah. And I was so proud of this theory. I told my husband, and he was like, "Oh, that's you. Like, I don't care. Like, for people like me, I don't care. I just want the knowledge. Like, yeah. you're talking about. You're actually talking about two people, two type of people. One." Who know who they are? They are very sure about their existence in the world. They know where they they know how the road to succeed, and they join the course just for the knowledge. They don't care about the mm. emotional stuff. Mm. There's another type who is exactly you, uh, mm. mini me, <laughs> who wants like see life as a process of transformation, and they're always looking for the next thing that can transform their life. And I was like, wait, yeah. that is so true. And that you also just mentioned that too. Some people come here for yeah. knowledge. Some people come here for transformational experience. But yeah. I think like the dilemma lies for for online creator lies between in the cohort there will there will be different type of people and there will be different yeah. type of things. So I think isn't it doesn't it kind of make sense for them to mix like training with coaching and mentoring in one cohort? Yeah, so so first of all, I would push back on 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 Paul's answer because like he, I I, I don't know, I had to talk with him, but like mo- in my experience, the people that say, "Oh, I just want the knowledge," they don't want the knowledge; they want the structure to change something, a habit, or to fix a problem. Oh, I I because knowing like a gazillion theories about time management is is knowledge, but you don't want that actually. You want to be able to solve the problem that you have which is basically how can i deal with so many tasks for instance right so knowledge on itself it's it's usually just um like on leisure uh activities right i want to learn about this specific philosopher just because right i don't want that to change my life i don't want to have any kind of uh change through that i just want to know that i'm curious about nietzsche and i want to do a course on it so that's knowledge then you have like the the behavioral uh, uh, part the the transformation the behavior transformation and so what what ends up happening is you do have different personalities on on a course and it makes total sense to optimize the learning experience for different personalities but that all like all that is possible within the training session because what connects both people that are focused, I, I just want the knowledge and that's it. And people that actually want some kind of uh, like feeling of transformation or they want like uh, to feel like th- that was a journey. What connects both of them is I want to solve a specific problem or I want to solve problems in my life. And I'm really hoping that this course will help me with that. So what you need to do is once you understand what problems you solve as a course creator, you need to understand what are different meaningful ways I can bring up to this course that will uh, that will help different people, right? So I'll give you an example. I once worked in a company. I, I did a training in, in a session in a company where they mix both the people from HR, which are usually more emotional people, connected people that want the transformation part, and engineers, 
which are very pragmatical, technical, and want the, the, the data, and that's it. And so what happens is both of them would have, so first of all, they will have different problems, of course, but as a trainer, and that's why any learning experiences start by focusing on the, the students, like doing the student, like listening to the students and understand what's the need that the students have. And so what I did was I, I, I understood like what are some of the common problems among these, these two people? And I realized that one of them was how to deal with pressure. So even though engineers were very practical and very uh, just focused on knowledge and very oriented to, I just want to, to understand the knowledge and to leave. They want, technically they didn't want, they didn't want the knowledge. They wanted to solve a problem of stress. Uh, the other people were like, Oh, but I, I, there's everything. There's a lot of things going wrong in, 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 in the company. I, and I want to solve them all. And I need like this, this transformation. I need to, to have an identity shift so I can help the company to achieve another thing, another area, another level. And so what, Connect them both were uh, this was this idea of dealing with stress. Once I figured that out, it's it it, it becomes actually a, a game. So I have the problem. I want these people to deal better with stress, and me as a trainer, me as a course creator, what I need to do is when I said, well, what are some very different ways that I can share the strategies that allow you to live better with stress, and in, in a way that resonates resonates first with some engineers and then with uh, like the the HR people, and what I want to do is I want to create these experiences or these games or the way I I'll convey this knowledge. I want to do it in a way that when I'm focused on engineers, like most engineers will will love it, and in maybe like twenty percent of the like eighty twenty, so maybe twenty percent of the HR people will like it, and then I'll switch. I'll focus on something that 80% of the people on, on, on HR will like it and only 20% of the engineers will. So that means uh, for engineers, in that case, for engineers was just presenting a bunch of data of studies that done around uh, anxiety and stress and ways to deal with it, different strategies to cope with that. And on the other side, with, with other people, was just sharing experiences where they already had faced stress. And for some reason, they ended up just uh, being able to push through it. And they they sharing, like, what were some of their own strategies, right? And, and so what, ends, what ended up happening in that learning experience was I would switch between these two approaches, like, on, like, every 30 minutes, I was switching the approach. And what I, what ends up happening is because they're starting to touch, they're starting to understand different ideas or different strategies to to solve their problem. They end up not only feeling that the, their needs as a learner are being met because oh this guy I'm an engineer this guy's giving me a lot of data I'm loving it, but also like. I'm starting to see the value of sharing some stories because those people over there they just share stories and they really enjoy it. So maybe next time I'll I'll, I'll try to share a story of my own and see how does that make me feel in this learning experience, right? And they do it and suddenly they feel great. But and then the HR people are like, oh, I'm so used to sharing these stories. I'm really enjoying. This guy is giving me the things that I need. And I'm also looking at engineers and I'm looking how they're processing data and, and, and they just are learning that much about different ways and in specific strategies and specific frameworks. Maybe 
I'll try that too. And what I, what ends up happening is by designing a complete learning experience, you will end up having both type one and type two people on the same learning experience and having like f- feeling that their learner needs are being met and also exploring part of the other uh, type um needs in in a learning experience but that's only possible if you as a creator have like this first of all a very deep knowledge on on the topic and on different ways to convey it of course and then keep alternating between type one type type two type one type two so that they themselves start to question their own type and embrace the possibilities of learning in different ways that was a very long answer sorry uh but did did i did it help was i clear yeah it's very clear it's uh it's my blowing. It's so good. Thank I can you. I can definitely I can definitely um see this is happen this was happening in some of the big like very very um the big online courses that has very active community members and in, in size. Now yeah. I like kind of like you open my door of seeing oh this is what was going on in those courses for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now um yeah. And uh, I was just saying that it, it also, it's, it's really, and that's why when you're a course creator, one of the things that you really need to understand is like when you're outlining the course, besides, and I, I wrote a Twitter thread on this. So besides outlining the course and the knowledge that you want to convey, also from time to time had what kind of emotion do you want people to have? And like, and that will allow you to optimize to different people. So if I want people to feel focused, I need to make sure that the the examples that I'm giving and the exercises and tasks that I'm giving are in the environment that I'm creating, like the music that's playing or the kind of slides that I'm projecting or sharing are optimized for that emotion. And usually when you have focused people, like the type one, the engineer will love it because, oh, this is my moment. This is the moment where I need to just grind, connect here. And that's great. But also if you have like, oh, in this part of the, of the learning experience, I want people to have to feel like very joyful. So I'll have like maybe a picture of a dog and I'm telling a story about like a a funny story and that allows for people to feel that. And like the the type two people will be like, oh, that's so great. I'm I'm, I'm having this emotional experience. So just having some, being very deliberate in what kind of emotions do you want people to feel in your learning experiences would probably solve like 80% of the problems in in adult uh, teaching uh, in my personal opinion. That is perfect. Thank you so much. So course creators, if you're listening, you know who to go to to seek (laughs) expertise advice on creating your own course. Now, I want to switch gear a little bit. So through this training experiences, you realize you you actually realize what is a go. um, Wait, I'm stuttering here. What is a modern golden age like Mm, mm, for mm. for for? Yeah, for human beings. So, would you like to talk about like how do you, how do you, how do you um the story behind you starting the modern, yeah. modern Golden Age podcast? Yeah, and being interested in that in that all that. So, yeah, so that's another long story that I'll try to to keep short. Uh, I had a previous podcast where I I interviewed people uh, because I, I co-founded this corporate training company and I, I met a lot of people doing weird jobs and I was working with high schoolers that would sometimes say to me like I can either be a doctor a lawyer or a failure and I was like no that <laughs> makes no sense and I'll try to sh- and so I created this podcast because I had very interesting friends and I want to showcase them to kids 
So I, that that was like my first podcast. I loved it, but there was a moment where I started to feel uh, some dread doing another episode. Uh, and I quickly realized that the conversations that I was having on that podcast weren't the kind of conversations that I wanted to have. And so I started to think, well, what kind of conversations do I want to have? And suddenly one day I was scrolling to Twitter and Visa can, Visa, which I, I think you know, um, shared like this this meme of, of the, the dominoes meme, I call it. It's called how, if we play our cards right. And basically it's like a bunch of dominoes aligned. And it implies that if we tackle the first, which is something like... Um, finding more friendly, ambitious nerds, if you tackle all of them, the the last domino would be a golden age of humanity. And I looked at that meme and I was moved by it. I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. And I want to be part of this golden age of humanity, but how can I do it? Because uh, my ideas aren't that deep, aren't deep enough for me to, to just go out there and share it. I don't have a clear vision of what a modern, uh, what a golden age look like. So what can I do? And once again, I look back at my own things and I was like, oh, okay, I'm very, very curious. I consider myself a full-time learner because I, I, I want to be always uh, learning something. I'm fairly good at having conversations and asking questions. So maybe I can do a podcast uh, talking with people about this specific idea of, of a golden age. And I call it the modern golden age because uh, so I, I did some research and I realized that all the golden ages before are geographically bounded. Bound. So what I mean is all the golden ages that previously happened happened in specific places, like physical places, because very talented and ambitious people were connected there. But like with the internet, for the first time, you can have a modern golden age where suddenly the place where you are, it doesn't matter anymore. Like the physical place doesn't matter. Uh, and because you can connect with ambitious and like-minded people online and these communities will first create this modern golden age online and then it, it will leak out into, into, into real life. And so I basically tried to come up with this perfect vision of a modern golden age. I realized I couldn't do it. it. It didn't make any sense. And so I started a podcast just to talk with people. And what I want to do is I want to talk with a hundred different people and at a given moment in our conversation, ask them the same questions and then compare a hundred answers and realize, well, what's the pattern here? Like, what are some of the things that everyone mentions? And then maybe share with people like, oh, I've talked with 100 people about this idea of a modern golden age. And like the thing that everyone says is that we have to be kinder to each other. So let's, how can we like create like something that's actionable around it? Um, and, and yeah, so that's how I get into the, the, the modern golden age is a topic that I'm obsessed with. And yeah, I try to talk with people about interesting projects that they're building and how that connects with um, humanity reaching uh, a modern golden age. Um, yeah, that's it. That's how I ended up. In what, what do you think will be the next step for this podcast? Mm. That's a great question. So I know I have to, after finishing like the second season of the podcast, uh, I, which is like in five to six weeks, I I need to write like uh, a for like an introduction to sharing like the the lessons that I've learned so far, and I think after doing that, 
I uh, like the next step of the podcast may start because it will give me some credibility among people and I have like a thing where I can point out to that says, look, I've talked with 20 different people about this topic of a monoclonal age. This is everything that I've learned. Um, so I guess that would be like uh, a part of it. Uh, and the second one is just like maybe the amount of um, dedication that I bring to the podcast. Like I love the conversations, but I'm not good at the other part, like marketing the podcast and having like this very, just like yourself, just like yourself, like having this very beautiful background with all these like details. Like I'm, I, I haven't got the, like the time and, and actually the, the energy to dedicate to that. But I think that's part of like the next step in, in, in the, in the podcast. Um, mm. Yeah, that's it. Or like um, uh, another relevant question would be like, with this, what do you want to do with the podcast? Mm. Um, what I oh. mean is like after building the podcast, is this the next step to mm. to like mm. community? Yeah, like, yeah. So sorry, yeah, because I, I misunderstood your question. So uh, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. The the, the point is, uh, I want to be a connector. What I want to do is, one day I want to be like the person that's within the community that's building a modern golden age and is able to point out exactly who do you do you need to talk to in order to like bring your project to fruition uh and i want to do that in many different ways the first one is by knowing everyone i oh, uh, of course everyone is 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 overstatement but by knowing a lot of people that are working on a golden age that will allow me to make that those connections uh and so Creating the podcast and building like the podcast to that point is is uh, one of the focus. The second one is I want to create a hub where people can come and work in in projects that that are related to the golden age and then leave. And f- fortunately, there's a lot of interest in this. There's a lot of people already doing that, and I found that amazing. Like you have people doing that in Berlin and people doing that on the US, and I I found that very good. I want to do it in Portugal, um, and I'm and I want to do it in a moment where I feel like I know enough people to be able to create connections that these individuals wouldn't consider for themselves. So what I mean by this is maybe uh, I I know some maybe you know someone that I know as well, but like you think about that person in a way. And I, because I know both of you, I see, oh, but wait, like in, in reality, like Angie would love to work with John because John has like this, this and this project that Angie doesn't know about, but if they connect it, they can create a third bigger project. And so I want to create like this hub when I feel that I'm already in a position of knowing enough people to create these, these, these connections. Um, and um, and yeah, th- that would be like my last goal for the podcast to be able to create a community and then to create this physical space in, in Portugal where people can come and work in projects that are somehow related to a modern golden age. Nice. Looking forward to, to see that project comes true. Yeah, okay. me too. Um, now, um, so you share a lot of your expertise, your stories of founding a company and then founding the podcast. And I know a backstory that we 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 shared when we were during a meetup. And I would like to let you set the transition to our next 
focus of the interview, which is our journey as bi- bilingual creator. So the backstory yeah. is like, I told you that I I recently quit writing and then pop, or like interviewing in Chinese because I feel like I feel like I'm moving to the states and then like I'm not really connected with the Chinese part of me anymore. And I want I want people to know I want to connect to like the creators who I will be meeting, who I will be really like physically based and. When I when I make the announcement, it was really hard for me because it, apparently, not apparently, like in Taiwan, we were brought up in a way that not being able to speak good English is a humiliation. Like you should be shameful for yourself if you don't speak good English. And like, it's just, it's definitely not just a tool. There are so much cultural implication of this language you're literally driving on the road and you'll see a big billboard on the skyscraper that say um don't embarrass yourself when you cannot reply english native speakers questions sign up for our english class stuff like that yeah only only later that i visit other asian country that i realized it's special for taiwan other people like Mm -hmm. i think i don't see i don't see um i don't see japan or chinese China has the same type of marketing marketing mm. um, strategy for for English classes, and so w- mm. when I announced that I wanted to started to create English, to like I, I I tried to put my most authentic, the most like heartful energy out to show that I'm not choosing to create in English because I think English is better than Chinese, but because of other stuff. And then you also yeah. share a story that. You were originally writing a Portuguese newsletter, and then you switched to English newsletter. Could you share with yeah. our audience? Yeah, one hundred percent. So I, I started to write on the internet a long time ago, uh, and I always did it in Portuguese. Um, and and even now, if people subscribe to my newsletter, uh, they they'll see that the newsletter was created like three or four months ago because that was finally the moment where I was I'm going to to talk about a modern age here. But like I've been writing for a long, long time, and I I did it. First in Portuguese in social media, I had like one or two pa- Facebook pages, uh, and then I did it on my own personal pages, and then I finally created like this newsletter in Portuguese. And I really enjoyed speaking and, and writing in Portuguese because it's, it's like it's my language, so I know like I know how to formulate impactful sentences. I know how to for- formulate beautiful sentences. I know how to formulate uh, like educational sentences. Like it's 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 natural. Uh, but it came to a point where I realized, well, I'm why am I writing? So my question was, why am I writing? And I realized, that, well, I'm writing because I want to attract more opportunities. And then we'd be like, oh, okay. So if I'm writing to attract opportunities, I ha- and I, I I need to understand like is writing in Portuguese increasing like the amount of opportunities that I have and I was like okay maybe if I'm focusing on like Brazil because Brazilians are a lot of that a lot of people and I can go that route but but like that's not that's not what I want so by to maximize opportunities I need to switch to English and so I actually did like two or three like test posts where I would uh, send like a, a post that was in English and I had like this interest saying, oh, uh, this is like, I, I would make this up. Like, oh, this post is, I, I, I'm reading, I'm writing this in English because uh, like I have a, f- a foreign friend that only speaks English that asked me to do so. And I would just send this out and see the reaction of people. 
And and I would quickly realize that people wouldn't even just open the newsletter or would actively ask, well, why are you writing in English? Like, what are you trying to do? Like, we have this Portuguese expression, which is like, um, which would be something like, oh, it's basically, who do you think you are? Uh, and, and, and so, so yeah, I did that. And then I realized, well, I want to switch to English because the opportunities that I want to attract are way easier in English. Uh, and there was a bunch of self-doubt around it, of course. Like, I'm going to butcher the words. I'm going to make mistakes. The, no one will like it. Uh, all that stuff. But at the same time, like, my first decision was I need to write in English because I want to explore those opportunities. So what I did was I created a second newsletter only in English, and I didn't tell anyone except my mother and my father. That was it. Like, and my girlfriend. Uh, but only, but, but even her, I was like, look, I'm doing this experiment. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this or not, but if you want to check it out, it's here. It's, it will be in English. So th there's that. And she was very supportive, of course. Uh, but, but like, I didn't tell anyone. And I started like from scratch all over again because I didn't want people to know that I was writing in, in, in English. Because... Being a native speaker, like people, first of all, just the mere fact that you're writing online, people were like, who do you think you are? What do you have to say? Like, what, whatever. And there's that. And also there's that because I'm also like, I'm a fairly young person. I, I'm, I'm a 26 year old. Like a lot of my friends are, are like still on building like their own careers. And so they would be looking at me sharing like oh hey here's how you do something they'll be like oh you're only like you're a young guy you don't have like i'm 26 but back then i was like 20 or 21 and people will be like oh you don't like who do you think you are like you're only 21 you have nothing to share so just stop it and all that stuff so like that plus like writing in english I, I just didn't want to deal with the emotional stress that would come from having people like saying, oh, uh, yeah, like Shwon thinks he's the greatest. He's writing in English. Oh, look at Mr. Fancy Pants. Oh, my. Right. So, uh, yeah, basically that was it. I just created a whole newsletter. I didn't tell anyone uh, that, I, that I was doing it. And I started to build an audience in English from, from scratch. I resonated with that so much. Like Taiwan, it's such a hierarchical um, culture as well, we definitely value, overvalue the importance of age. Like, mm. so in, in, in some contexts, like the fitness industry I work with, I work in before, like you, you cannot, you are forbidden. It's like an unwritten rule. You are forbidden to call the person by their name. You have to call them yeah. senior or junior based on, based on um, your age when you enter the same school, even though you already graduated school like 20 years yeah. already. Yeah. So yeah. like, I definitely see like that. That's definitely like lots of lots of my fear coming up when I wanted to create in English. And I think I think the word you use opportunity is very interesting for me. Now that you said it again, like one of the reasons why I wanted to create English is like I do want an opportunity, like more opportunities. And the opportunities is not just financial opportunities, but also like an opportunity to for me to be a different self, like. If I create English, like no one would shit on my age. No one would tell me mm. that you are not qualified. And mm. especially I was in a very like warm, nice, happy corner of Twitter full of write up passage people, whatever I tweet, whatever yeah. I say, people are like, Oh my god, Angie, I love you. Love your writing, yeah. inspiring. And so it's like 
<laughs> I finally like get the affirmation from a community that I that I never thought of before. I yeah. I think like whenever even now when I create it in Chinese, even though I do have some like very supportive creator friends, I can also I can also like imagine what other creator will say about me. Oh, like who she yeah. thinks she's. Oh, oh, her stuff is maybe not that good because like, I do yeah. see myself like the dark side of me coming up when I'm commenting on a person's English work and a person's Chinese work. And so yeah. like I still couldn't reconcile that part, although I do think that I've come a long way that I try to integrate it too. Especially like I just wrote I just wrote an article these few days about like being a mother who wants to raise a bilingual kid. Like I have to reconcile the two. But still it's yeah. like Man, I totally resonated with you so much, and I want to know what do you think that you will be able to to like to bridge the gap between the two the two of you, like the two sides of you? Yeah. So I so I don't see it as like two sides. I see it like as more like as two approaches. Uh, and 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 so the way that I, I I'm thinking about it is is basically because I I lean on English and I sort of like created a, a positive momentum on my own writing, um, and part of it like when we met, you mentioned like you, you failed to mention that you wrote this amazing article on being precisely a, a bilingual writer and like your experience on that, and I read that article and I was like. Look, you're the one who wrote this article, right? And you have no idea how that changed me because there in, in that article, you're, you're saying that a lot of people that were natives were also doing like basic mistakes on English and they were just having the same self-doubt that you were having. I was like, oh my God. So that is not like a problem that I have as a Portuguese. It's a problem that everyone has as a writer. And so because of that and because I started to build like a more positive momentum and because I started to have way more conversations in English with different people. And I, I saw like, there's people that I know that are, that are not native speakers that are, that write really, really well. And I talk with them and realize that in conversation, their English was basically the same level as mine. And I was like, Oh, okay. So like, it's all these self-doubt, all these self-doubt and all these questions like the only difference between me and people that I put up here as as bilingual creators is just is just purely how comfortable I am on on being on a process to be better, right? And that was like a fundamental shift. Um, and so what ended up what ended up happening was like I started to be way more comfortable in 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 with the fact that I'm writing in English, um, and also because I, I like I do right now I do all my writing in English almost like I do my publishing on, on English. I do my journaling on English, like except for things that are mandatory Portuguese, like I'll do the rest of it in English. And so because I'm having like that practice is a practice, I'm feeling more and more comfortable with it. And, and so right now I, I'm very confident in saying, meeting a, an old friend and be like, oh yeah, I write some things and, and you can just ha go to this website and check it out. And it's in English, right? I, I, I don't, it's, it's not a problem anymore in that sense. What I do believe is uh, like harder to, to, to 
bridge the gap is like the cultural aspect of, of, of language. So, um, and we talked about this as well, like American people and English spoken people, but like most of the creators that I know in companies that I want to work with are American. So there's that. They have a very different culture from, from Portugal. And we talked about this on our, on our call as well. And like being able to create this new uh, like culture where I still remain with the things that are typical Portuguese and I like, but also embrace the um, the the American part of it or or the um, English speaking part of it. Uh, that's a harder bridge to 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 to, to pass. And in what I'm doing basically is I, I'm trying to look at everything that Portuguese gives me that I like and and getting that and understanding the things that I don't like and trying to replace it either by American or by any other country actually like. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's like where I'm at right now in, in, in that, uh, topic. Nice. Yeah. How about you? I would love, I would love to, to, to listen, like not only in, in speaking, but like in culturally speaking, like how are you balancing, balancing those, those two things? Uh-huh. Yeah, first of all, I want to say that when, when we were in a meetup and then you told me you read my article, that was so like, that was also like a very, very shocking moment for me. I was happy for many, many days afterward that some, <laughs> someone I met from like a different side of a corner of the world, I can't believe he read my article. This is like so cool. Like, I'm so glad it was that article was such a struggle, like putting myself out there and I like, just being very vulnerable saying that I... I actually struggled with this before and blah, blah, blah. It just, oh man, that, that was very cool. That's so, such a cool, like it's a very transformative moment of my life. <laughs> and Great. so like, yeah, we talk about how both like Portuguese and Taiwanese culture want us to be humble. And then yeah. it's just not, it's just not useful to be in an environment where another, where the, the culture doesn't value humbleness. And I, I thought this is something that we grew up with um, another native language that we speak with will face. But I just talked to another Asian American who was born and raised here yesterday. And then he told me that he, it's so uncomfortable for him to be as aggressive as other Americans as well, because he was brought up in the immigrant family in the States. And then he mm -hmm. still had that side of him. And then I was like, Man, this is just not fair. <laughs> like I wish I would I wish I was born in a in a culture that is that made me maybe so comfortably showing who I am. I think I've come a long way of not trying to be too humble when talking with Americans, but still like there are situations where I feel like I'm already putting out the American side of me and the person yeah. will say, Oh, come on, stop underselling yourself. And I was like, wait, am I doing that yeah. again? Still like unconsciously. So I was like, when, yeah. like what, Till what day would I comfortably say that I am not being aggressive? I'm just confidently showing myself, and the other person also yeah. think that I'm confidently showing myself. I think yeah. I don't know if they will be resolved in this lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so, but <laughs> I, I do think like want, needing to succeed in in the in a totally different culture. Like I need to learn how to overcome discomfort of like doing something against my mother my mother yeah. culture's norm the, yeah. the culture norm of my mother culture and yeah. i think like i do 
And I also really resonated with you that I feel so smart speaking Chinese. Like I, I know how to use the most complicated word, the most complicated sentence, and then I can write. I write the most philosophical <sighs> paragraph ever. And then when I speak in English, I speak like a kiddo, and I write. Yeah. Like and I think these days I I just learned to enjoy that. I learned to enjoy like not to think about one thing too complicatedly, but like express a thing as it is. I found yeah. there is a certain liberation in that too. Like when I when yeah. I was learning Spanish, it's even more so. Like I was I was in Mexico, and then no one knows my life stories. I was so lonely. I want to make friends. The only friends I have is my Spanish teacher. But the only words I came out with is I'm from Taiwan. I'm 34 years old. I am happy. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, but I want to tell him like I'm this like empowerment coach. I feel this cool stuff, but I don't have any of the language. But I think it's actually good because it forced me to get rid of some part of the identity I'm attaching so much and going back yeah. to like, the fundamental of who I really am and how do I experience these things most directly without too much interpretation. Yeah. But I but if there is a time where I feel like I I still have so much to say and if I write in English, no one will understand I couldn't express myself in English either then I will write in Chinese and I will yeah. publish on my Chinese Instagram or newsletter. Yeah. That's my strategy so far. Yeah. No, and, and like, just, so like in my opinion, like um, I, I I want to have that level of uh, assertiveness in, when, when talking about the things that I've done, but I also don't want to lose like, um, some sensibility because I have like this experience and, and I'm not generalizing, but there are a lot of Americans that I met that are way over the top. Like there's sometimes I've, I've met people that I don't know, they, they can. So in, in Europe, we enjoy football, which for you, for American people is, is soccer. Uh, but, but like we enjoy football and, and, uh, and like, I've met Americans that can just do like basic things, like just have, uh, having the ball on their feet and just balancing with three or four times just with, with their feet. And like they, and they go and say, Oh, I'm very good at soccer. You want to see me play? And they do that. And like any Portuguese kid can do that. Right. And so sometimes I think that that's, that's an exaggeration and I don't want to get there because even though I want to be completely comfortable in, in sharing the things that I do. And, and I know that I can be, can be a lot more like doing this podcast like three months ago would be like the most uncomfortable thing even if I, I was speaking English as good as I am right now the mere fact that I would be here just speaking about all the things that I've done and all the things that I and all these companies that I've worked with it it, it, it was weird and I have I'm, I'm constantly looking forward and walking for a future where I can just be confident in what I already do, but I don't want to lose that edge that comes from, Oh, but I can do more, but I want to push myself or maybe I did that, but I'll, but I also like, so, uh, you know, that part of culture, like that sensibility, I still want to remain, uh, to me personally, one of the things that I did in order to become, um, like more comfortable in, in articulating better, my ideas was first of all, like changing everything, every kind of writing that I do to, to English and like changing journaling was a big step because I journal a lot. Uh, and it made me like, sometimes a thought would come up in my head in Portuguese with specific words that could be replaced, but 
would lose like the strength of the thought. And so I would force myself, no, I want to learn how to say that specific word because that's the feeling or that's the, the idea I want to convey. And, and so doing that was a big step. And another one very big was just read more fiction in English because usually in English I would read nonfiction and I would focus on Portuguese um, Portuguese books um, for, for fiction. And also reading fiction in English, like the kind of words, the non-technical words, like they, they pop up and I have no idea what they are and I just try to learn them and have like this whole document with different words that I want to learn and want to integrate in my vocabulary because they're, they're, they're beautiful words. Um, and so those were, are some of the practices that I'm doing in order to uh, be able to to become even more comfortable in English. And also having like conversations with people has been like a life changer. Like two days ago, three days ago, I had like, I met the first international friend like that come that came from Israel. He came from Portugal and I met him and we spent the, the, the morning together. And only after he left, I was like, man, I actually was able to maintain the conversation without just overthinking what I was saying or having problems articulating the kind of thoughts that I wanted to do. Like I was presenting in my hometown, like we have a monastery filled with history. And I told him like the whole history around the, the monument. And I, and I was like, Oh, nice. I'm, I, I'm reaching a level where I can be more comfortable in a way that I, that I speak and consequently in the way that I write, um, and that happened because of those three things, just switching journaling to English, having more conversations and reading fiction um, in, in English as well. Well, that's interesting. I think for me, I also see like three months ago, the conversation with you is that would not happen. I would just be so afraid reaching out to you and I will be constantly analyzing like, oh, should I just use the wrong tense? I say he instead of she, I say she instead of he. Oh my God, how am I going to cover? How, how am I going to carry on the next um the, the rest of the podcast interview. But I think for, for me, like what really changed, and I was thinking about these these days, what really changed for me is like, like not my English ability, but like how worthy I think I am in terms of connecting with other people. And I think that being a mother definitely made me have to like be courageous and then start like get buried in my own drama. And then I just like, wanting to like the best for my kid and also like and so like through that I know how to be a courageous person and because of that I started to feel like I am not worth I am not not worthy of a connection just because I made some English mistakes I think writing that article definitely helped me throughout sort out a lot of this and I every like every moment I am so comfortably talking with you now I am so like amazed and proud of myself and yeah, I, I hope, I hope like this will, I yeah, I hope that this will continue for sure. And yeah. what am I going to say? Uh, I forgot, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there are definitely time that like during our conversation was like, oh, holy shit, I made this mistake. I'm going to, I'm going to edit out this later. And then, and then the next moment, the Angie, the, the more comfortable Angie will come in and say, no, just put it, put a podcast out. Like yeah. your comfort, what? the content of your conversation is much more important than the, con- the the mistake I made. So, yeah. So like, I, I think by putting out the mistake, it will also in- force me to accept this part of me 
and be a braver creator too. Oh, I I remember. So like, yeah, I think that about journaling, like I intentionally, I I also just realized that I was analyzing my, my journaling and then I will be bitching about my life in the most like sarcastic and depressing way. Like you are, (laughs) you are a piece of shit. Why do you do this to that? You didn't do anything like in Chinese. Like you you say you're going to publish this thing. You say you're going to write on time. You never did it. I am so disappointed at you. And then I will start writing in English. Say, but at least you did so many things already. And I'm still proud of you. Like, I love you and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, this is really too cultural identity. Just like changing automatically, depending on, (laughs) I'm going to say a negative stuff about myself or the positive stuff about myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Oh my God, this is such a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It it makes a lot of sense. Like, and, but I think that maybe it's, it's just, that language is like a vehicle for for like alternative language is a vehicle for us to express like the shadow part of ourselves and mm. and, and maybe if you if you like because I I get what you're saying but the thing is maybe if he switched I'm not sure if he decided to switch to English like that voice would disappear because I I don't think that's just related to language but also like to a part that we all have right that sometimes does not make uh, make us that happy uh, but but like talking to the mistakes like I actually am against like I never edit my mistakes in in actually anywhere uh, so what I mean by this is if I'm recording a video and suddenly I, I'm, I'm I'm recording something and I'm, and I'm like oh I shit I forgot the word or or I, I I'm not making like my point uh, come through that I'll just stop and I'll record it but once it's like a, a take like or once it's a conversation I'll, I'll never edit it out because what I want to do is I want to be able to in five years look at a podcast interview that I did and just say. I came from that, you know, that was where I was and this is where I am right now. Uh, and, and if I edit and suddenly it's, it seems all perfect, like I will, I, I, I won't be able to, to feel the joy from that comes from growing for, and from learning in long, uh, like in, in, in the long enough term. Right. And so that's why I like, I, I'll edit like in my podcast, I'll edit everything that the guest wants. But my things, like my mistakes, my moments where I'm going, uh, I'm not sure what's the word, or the moments where I, I say something and I'm like, oh, that's not like the proper way, I'll leave it everything there. Because in five years down the line, I would look at them, I will look at them and, and we'll be like, oh, yeah, that's what I was. That's crazy. And because I, I and maybe that's, I, I'm just thinking about this, right? But because when I was in music, I would record all the, like, I, I would record me playing and I would look down and see, oh, that's so funny. When I was starting, and this would seem very hard. And now I, I, I play that, like, with my eyes closed behind my back, right? And so, like, I, I, I was always used to this idea of just recording the mistakes so you can then see your progress. Uh, and I believe that's a very good practice to have as, as a creator as well. This is your growth testimonial for yourself. It's yeah. going to like, nice. Thank you so much. It's been such a wonderful conversation. For the last part, I would like to ask you, um, what will the golden age look like for your life? 
That's a very uh, deep question. Uh, like, I believe that part of, of a golden age in, in my personal life will definitely be around, first of all, having a family. I'm a, a very family-oriented person, like, and, and so that's definitely there. And I do see, like, the full manifestation of, of a modern golden age or of a golden age in my life will have to have, like, a family, for sure. Uh, also, like, creating uh, new institutions that allow or uh, allow humanity to surpass current level and be able to to, to uh, er, achieve a next level will definitely be part of it as well and and yeah I think I think that and and definitely not only creating a, a institutions but also like somehow being connected to education I do believe that's part of my calling um, so yeah, those would be like three things. So first, having a family. Second, like um, meeting other people that are somewhat like-minded. Third, bringing new institutions um, would be like the, the the manifestation of the golden age in, in my life. Nice. Thank you so much. So if Thank you. our students, oh, if our students, no, if so our audience want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, so the best way to do it is either through Twitter uh, at the at Joao G O A O L M A T E U S Joao L Mateus, uh, or uh, on my Substack, um, which is basically the same thing .substack.com. That's where I publish like the episodes of my podcast, my own writing, um, and uh, yeah, that would be. It. You can also search for the Love Me podcast in your favorite podcast platform and it will probably be there thank you so much i will also put the links in the show note now thank you all right thank you so much for the interview thank bye you. it was a pleasure bye bye thank you bye